What is up, you guys? I am the mysterious creator of the Tommy Toll Show, and you are listening to the Lowdown Random Thoughts podcast. We are back. It's been roughly a week or so. Um, happy to be here. Always my favorite thing in the world. With me, as always, at a girly MMA. We call her Ash. She's amazing. And uh, she is my co-host on this journey that we call Lowdown Random Thoughts. Um, friend, how are you? I am wonderful, friend. How are you, friend? I'm fantastic. This thing is recording. What could be better? Um, <laughs> for those of you who are... <laughs> we actually had some technical difficulties. We recorded the first part of the podcast already, and now we're re-recording it because the recorder didn't record. Uh, so this first part, we've already kind of touched on, but I'm, uh, I'm going to pretend I'm surprised. So, friend... We start the show normally with good news, um, and uh, we, you know, we don't like the negative news in the world and the bad things going on, uh, and I'm going to let you go first. I've totally 100% not heard your story today, uh, but please uh, let us know your, uh, your good news for the, for the week. Well, friend, I have to ask you, do you, have you ever heard of Tim McGraw? <laughs> is, is that a Taylor Swift song? Don't say her name. We'll have to give her. We'll have to give her a couple. Oh more my god! Pins. We just had to. She just. She now owns Lowdown Random Thoughts. We owe her six pence and three pennies. <laughs> um. Uh. So yeah, Tim McGraw is a country music star, and he is going on. He has a tour this year. It's called the Shotgun Rider Tour, and he has thirty-six stops, and in each one of his stops. He is going to pick a veteran to give a house to, um, completely renovated, brand new home, mortgage-free, and he wants to raise awareness um, on veterans making the transition back to civilian life and the faces, the, you know, the challenges they face. And um, so, yeah, each stop he's going to he's gonna give. And, He's actually already given away more than 140 free houses because he started an operation in 2012 um, called Operation Homefront. So you know he's worked from then to now to help you know to get houses out. But he's he's committed on his tour to give one away at each stop, which I think is really cool. That's super super cool. That's um, you know veterans getting back into society like you said is is not an easy transition and um yeah that's that's such a great thing and you know people can say what they want about famous people rich people but that's a great thing he's doing and it's going to help those people directly and it's going to help others indirectly and it's going to inspire others to do other good things it's it's wonderful all around uh that's a that's a wonderful wonderful story um and a side note that we got to as well before the podcast, we realized it wasn't recording the entire time. Um, I had mentioned that uh, I was once in uh, this place called Myrtle Beach. I'm I'm still not sure if um, Ash is familiar with it. Um, and Google Map it afterwards. <laughs> I want I want to say it's in Washington State. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was there uh, at a country music bar with my family on a vacation, 
And uh, it was a karaoke bar, and, and we uh, decided to partake in karaoke. Uh, I do enjoy karaoke from time to time. And uh, I sang a Tim McGraw song because I think my cousin wanted me to. And it was uh, Live Like You Were Dying. And uh, I got up there, I sang it, and I got done. And um, when I got down, I was heading back to our table on the other side of the bar. And uh, this guy approached me, and, and he kind of looked emotional. And um, not like distraught, just... I don't know, moved maybe, I guess. And uh, he had told me a story about his wife having cancer and how much the song meant to them and, and how much hearing the song, you know, sung, I guess, in person meant to him. Um, I, I was, you know, flattered. I, I didn't even know what to say, honestly. It was one of those, you know, I was, I was honored. But um, it was cool that, you know, I, I never thought a karaoke performance would touch someone, but it did, and that was cool, and uh, more Tim McGraw goodness. And we are now being introduced to the fact that you can sing, so we know what everyone will expect on the next uh, Tommy Toehold show. Well, yeah, I. Uh, it's funny you say that, because I, I've sang once or twice on Tommy, as Tommy, uh, I sang Total Eclipse of the Heart once as Tommy, and let me tell you, that was the most fun I think I've ever had doing the show. I was laughing my ass off uh, recording that, I, and I don't usually laugh at myself when I record, um, but I could not stop. It was just so ridiculous, and it sounded so ridiculous that I could not get through half a take without just dying laughing, so... Yeah, I, I definitely need to do a little bit more singing and stuff on the, on the shows. Uh, but yeah, I, I used to, um, when I was a teacher, I used to do a lot of karaoke competitions. Um, not like I was that serious about it. I didn't really care. I just wanted the money. Uh, you know, summertime, I wasn't working. So yeah, I like to sing. Uh, it's uh, something I do on occasion. Maybe I'll belt a few bars one of these days on the show. Yeah, you, you sing and I'll rap. If you sing. And you sing for real, then I'll rap. I have heard you rap, and it is incredible. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. I I do recall it was. I think I actually know the exact date. Um, oh my goodness! I believe it was Halloween two years ago. Uh, it? it was. And you you rapped. Uh, I would say maybe a verse uh, and, and a little <laughs> bit of a chorus. It was pretty awesome. You were pretty on point. So yeah. We'll do a, we'll find a song where there's there's good rap and singing and we'll uh we'll put it together. Maybe we'll do something with Kanye West and Rihanna. You can be Kanye, I'll be Rihanna. That oh that God. totally makes sense. That, <laughs> yeah, I could there's you know what? I want you to wear the um chain link number she did a while back. Yes, of course, absolutely. I mean, that's that's totally me. Um <laughs> uh Okay, so my good news story, not the same topic at all, but it's, uh, it's about, again, mine always has a little bit of sadness in it, but um, you know, stroke victims oftentimes struggle to regain control of parts of their body sometimes. Uh, maybe one half is a lot weaker than the other half. Um, maybe they're completely paralyzed after, um, you know, on one side of their body after a stroke. It can, it can really wreak havoc on the body. And um, my story is about some researchers in Spain that have figured out, and they're still doing more tests. This is, 
this is early stuff, but it's promising that uh, they can use virtual reality simulations to strengthen the weaknesses in the other parts of the stroke victims. And most interestingly, it seems to be by increasing their confidence. Um, and, and they do so by speeding up the simulation for the weakened half of the body so that for the, for the, uh, the stroke victim, to them it appears that they are improving in, in speed and in strength in the, the weaker part of the body, in the simulation, and then that carries over in their mind to, because they're controlling it, or they think they're controlling it, with their actual limbs. They are controlling it, but they, didn't, they don't know it's being sped up uh, for that one side. And they have shown um, pretty considerable increases, 25 to 35% increases in strength and mobility um, in those areas. So uh, definitely a really cool science and uh, a cool idea. And it sounds like they're going to continue the study and, and see where they can go with this. And, and hopefully it'll help more stroke victims, uh, you know, in the future. That's a really cool. You know, that's, you, you always hear people think about, you know, the power of your mind, the positive thinking. And if you just change the way you think, you can change your life. But that's really, that's like a proof of concept on you know what I mean yeah I know it is and it's interesting that you say that because it actually transitions perfectly into my next topic uh, was something I wanted to talk to you about uh, I told you about a couple days ago and I wanted to make it a surprise uh, and now we get to talk about that friend dun 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 dun, dun. friend two seconds I need to adjust some of my equipment here. Uh, that sounded really not That's like... That's what she said. Oh, uh, I was going to say, that sounded super sexual. Okay, two seconds. Let me get this thing moved. <laughs> that sounded bad, too. Oh, my God. Okay, just give me two seconds. <laughs> it's just too hard. I need to... Wait a second. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> Do you need to erect a, a, a more a firmer structure? You're killing me right now. What I'm doing on Periscope is holding up Illuminati triangle signs with the Tommy Toehold signal in the middle. That's awesome. Because someone has concluded that you are from Illuminati um, because they want you to be in Vegas fight week. And I told them that you were everywhere. And I did it all via paper. I, I wrote it on paper that you're everywhere. So you're there. I love this. Definitely be at fight week. They just, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I yes, if of course. Computer, I'll be in fight week. If you're right. on strongly for more than eight, eight hours, you may need to call your doctor. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. <laughs> okay, I'm almost already here. <laughs> tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> okay, no more in your window. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep this family family. That's okay. Um, so I was listening to a podcast. This guy is a successful guy. Um, he was talking about a story that really inspired him. Um, and it was, uh, 
it was about Thomas Edison. So Thomas Edison is known as a lot of different things, um, but most mostly I would assume most people know him as the inventor of the uh, incandescent light bulb, right? Um, yeah, you know, if you say Thomas Edison, they think of that, or they maybe think of electricity. Um, some people might think of uh, Nikola Tesla, who a lot of people felt he stole ideas from, um, and Tesla didn't get a lot of the credit that that uh, Edison did, ended up getting. Um, but anyway, he was an interesting man, and he was a very successful man. And the story that this guy on the podcast told was about a time that Thomas Edison, um, he was sitting in his home, and one of his assistants comes sprinting into the house and to inform him that his laboratory was on fire. Um, now, at this point in Thomas Edison's life, he had a very successful business uh, out of his laboratory. They were inventing things. They were producing some of these inventions that he had made and selling them. And it was a very big place. He had a lot of employees. It was his whole entire life, basically. And it's on fire. So the guy tells the story. He said Thomas Edison calmly gets up and follows his assistant to the, to the laboratory. When he gets there, the fire is just impossible. I don't know uh, how good firefighters were in, the, in that era or how I, I, firefighting in general, but they couldn't do anything, basically. Um, the way the story was told, the flames were seven stories high. This was just a massive fire. This whole place was going down. Um, and because of all the chemicals inside, the fire was burning a lot of different colors, green and blue, and all these, you know, the chemicals were reacting to the flames. And um, Edison gets there, and uh, they had already evacuated everybody. And he looks for his son. He finds his son. And he tells his son, this is the weird part, the interesting part. He said, son, go get your mother and tell her to bring her friends because she is never going to see a fire as beautiful as this again. And he said it apparently with a smile on his face. And everybody was like, dude, your whole entire life just exploded. And you're telling your wife to come watch the flames because they're awesome looking? So everybody thought he was insane. Uh, but the point of the story was kind of like what you just said about perspective, about positive thinking. Basically, Edison was of the mind that if I can't control something, I shouldn't just accept it. Because you hear that a lot, you know, people saying, oh, we, we have to accept the things that we cannot change. Um, he went beyond that. And not only did he accept everything that was happening around him, he embraced it. He enjoyed it, even horrible things. Uh, his entire world was crumbling around him, literally. And he was stopping to enjoy the magnificence of the fire. Um, so the whole place burned down. He lost all of his money. Uh, and even worse, the insurance uh, apparently was not done correctly. And uh, he only could salvage 25% of everything. Um, but sure enough, six months later, the place was rebuilt. I think maybe on a, luno, a new location. They, they were, business was booming. Things were better than ever. 
So that temporary setback didn't really mean much to him anyway. Um, but it's so hard for us in the moment to think that way. It's, I mean, it's really hard. I, I don't think I could do it either, and I'm a pretty positive guy. But something bad happens, I'm not like, <laughs> yeah, all right, <laughs> this is awesome. But I think it's a really interesting way of going about life, and it's something that's so counterintuitive that it almost makes me think it is a good idea because, again, there is nothing he could do about that situation. So really, you know, being upset about it didn't really do anything positive. It didn't change any outcome. Um, so why choose to be miserable in that moment if there is another option, which is to apparently enjoy the flames? I don't know. It really hit me. And, and I hear so many anecdotes and, and you know stories about famous people and how they've dealt with things and and it's all very rah-rah, and it's wonderful, and people can be inspired by it, but most people can never really replicate it. But not only can they not replicate it, but even if they try to uh, live that way, eventually it's a sort of whatever. It, it, to them it seems right, but maybe they can't you know, keep up with it. This seems so counterintuitive, yet at, at the same time seems maybe possibly absolutely right. I want your thoughts on this, friend. What do you think of this concept and do you think it's a good idea to live that way? I think it's an absolutely wonderful um, way to live. You know, I, you and I are both pretty positive people. Um, we've both been through rough times, you know, and yeah, of course, I, I mean, we always say look on the bright side or, you know, the cloud always has a silver lining, but I think it would, it, it says a lot about a person to be able to appreciate, the beauty in such a tragedy, you know. Um, I love to I love to find the humor in things. You know, I can have dark humor, especially when it comes to like health related issues and there's problems going on and um you know things that you they're just completely out of your control. But I don't know that would be my first instinct would be you know and I don't know because I've I haven't seen a bunch of different chemicals burn. Maybe it was so breathtaking that you know, he, he couldn't think of anything else other than how beautiful it was, but that's the right way to live. The fire was already there. There was nothing he could do about it. So he made the best of that situation. You know what I mean? That there was that was the only thing left to do. Yeah. It's so weird, right? And and I, you're right, you do you you have a very um you have gallows humor. Uh I you know, like I've known you for quite a while now. We talk all the time. And yes, you definitely have gallows humor. You find humor in really bad situations. Um, and I don't know if that's just because I think it, part of it's just your demeanor. Like you said, you and I are very positive people. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I think you kind of have that a little bit. I think you have it a lot more than most people probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I'm trying to put myself in this situation too. And yeah, I don't know how I'd react. I, I don't know if I'd, my first instinct would be to tell everybody to come watch the fire. I don't know. I but know. I kind of want to be like that. I, I've heard the motto from my grandfather, you know, when I was very young, that if you're going to be in this situation anyway, you might as well make the best of it. Um, 
in my situations have never included everything that I've worked hard on burning down in a fire in front of my face. I don't want to compare it to that, you know, the same thing. But I, I think that's a really good example of it. You know, if you, and it's the whole, you know, the serenity prayer, grant me, you know, the patience to blah, blah, accept what I, you know. And you have to change right. what you can change, accept what you can't change, you know, and you have to figure out the difference between the two. So he had a good grasp on that. And I I can admire him even more for that situation. And I really, the, the main thing I'm thinking about is how I would have loved to see that fire. Yeah, I, I, I've... um. I've only seen a few. <laughs> I don't know why I've seen a few chemical fires in my life, but I have seen a couple, and they were pretty spectacular. Um, I, I don't even know. Yeah, I uh, I've seen a couple chemical fires, and they were they were definitely different. Um, a fire in general, I think, is fascinating to most humans. Yeah. Um, not like in a pyromaniac kind of way, where like I want to see things on fire, burn. Yeah, like. Uh, I think just the, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mean it like, like that. Um, arsonist style. Uh, oh my God, which reminds me of a video I saw once. So we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, I don't know. I think flames, it's one of those things so primal. It's so vital to human existence. Yeah, and it yeah. has been ever since the very beginning, you know, heat and, and cooking your food and all these things. And um, I just think we have this sort of primal connection to fire um, because of the, what it meant to humans so early on um, in our existence. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love flame. Like, you know, if I'm camping or something, I've got a fire. I'd love just staring at the fire. Do you ever do that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we... Um cook a wildfire in my backyard. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, nice little fire pit, you know. Um, especially, it's so hot. You know, I'm, I'm down south. We have 110 degree heat. You throw a quick fire up, eat something, you know, quick over the fire, jump in the pool. Yeah. And then, you know, despite being inside the I've been going, cooking your whole house up. Right. Plus, everything seems to taste better when you're just like, that's, it's more like caveman. Like, yeah, just kill an animal and put on a stick and hello. I don't do that. I don't kill animals when I'm at all. But I'm just saying, like, mine are usually like potatoes or, or corn. Have you, have you ever had like grilled corn? Fire roasted Oh, corn? yeah. Oh, um, God. So yeah. good. Yeah, everything is better grilled. Everything is better op- on an open flame. It's so true. And you're right. Like, you know, you have, like, a big, mm-hmm. juicy steak, like, on a fire, the fire that you built with your hands. You just feel like a like a caveman. Like, you feel like, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. You're like, yeah, I am all that is human. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's one of those things that I don't we connect steak. with. You know that? You know that? What's that? I don't eat steak. Oh, I don't know if I knew this or not. You're not a big steak fan. I don't eat any... 
large piece of meat <laughs> without sounding <laughs> like like I don't like <laughs> I'll eat some meat cooked into into dishes. Hey. <laughs> Um, I just became suddenly less attractive to everybody out there. No, I don't, I don't like steak. I don't like any kind of meat that's on the bone. I don't eat, like I'm from the South, but I do not eat fried chicken. I've never enjoyed fried chicken. The only, um, meat I like that is usually like big is like, I can enjoy a good roast. Of course, I mean, you know, you get little pieces off of it. Um, a really good baked hams, you know, I'll eat, like, maybe twice a year, or, or um, like, a really good turkey. Usually, the meat I eat is cooked up into things, like, you know, maybe ground beef in a lasagna or something like that. But, like, if I, if I get a, you know, a lot of sandwiches I eat, or um, I fajitas or stuff, like, like, veggies, like, veggie fajitas and stuff like that. I like this. I don't, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um... I've never the texture, like texture of nothing, bothers me. Texture of certain fabrics, like, I can feel the seams on my clothes when I wear them, and I've never liked the texture of 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 meat like that. Like, I remember, you know, every time I ever had cake, like I get a bite in my mouth, and suddenly it's like as I chew, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and like it's just, I just can't, I can't do it. I like it. Yeah, that's um. I understand that, and that's the other thing. You know, chewing meat is not an easy task. It takes a it takes a lot of chewing. Um, you know, Maybe, you I'm lazy. Vegetable... Maybe I'm a lazy chewer. <laughs> I just don't want to chew more. Um, no, but you're right. You know, you put a big chunk of steak in your mouth and uh, you start chewing on it. Eventually, it's, it can get kind of taxing, uh, and it does. It kind of expands as you're shredding it with your teeth. Um, it's kind of interesting to think about the, the process of chewing food. You're literally shredding things with your mouth <laughs> to prepare them for the digestion digestion <laughs> process. Um, interestingly, so I was one of these. Uh, I'm I'm a very much a science. I'm a man of science. Um, I am a man of experiments. And um, one of the things it sounds like I have like Bunsen burners and like flasks everywhere, but I that's not, not what I mean. Not thinking uh, Bunsen burners at all. <laughs> what were you thinking? No, that is exactly what I was thinking. That's what I'm saying. That's so crazy. That was the first thing oh. that popped in my head. <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, because we have the exact same brain. So <laughs> I was thinking one day, I was like, what if somebody made, you know, you always say in like the old sci-fi, you know, oh, they take like a pill and that's their, their nutrition for the entire day. Right. Um, and I always thought like, okay, a pill, that's a little much, but could there be some sort of, I don't know, gruel or soup or liquid that you could just drink uh, and, and then you would never need to eat again. Uh, because for me, okay, so there's two kinds of eating for me. There's eating for pleasure, which is I'm having a pizza. I, that's not really, I'm not eating pizza for sustenance. I'm eating pizza because it tastes amazing. Right. And, and then there is, I'm fueling my body eating. Like literally, I'm fueling my body and I guess taste is not really something I'm concerned about as much. Like when I really get hardcore with eating and I'm like, I'm going to eat, you know, seven, four ounce pieces of chicken every day. I don't do anything to that chicken because to me, I'm just treating it like fuel, but I hate chewing. It takes forever. You know, eating food takes time. And I hated that. Um, So I was like, God, what if I could make some sort of strange, horrible concoction that I could just deal with it and, and suck it down however many times a day 
and then I've got all my nutrition, right? So I started looking into it, and it turns out that chewing is important. Yeah. And, and not just because you're chopping up food. If you only drink your, ca- like, everything, um, the saliva does not get involved with the process. Because when you're chewing, what happens? Your mouth waters, right? Uh, your mouth produces saliva. The saliva mixes with the food. Well, they're, part of the, the digestion process involves the saliva in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So when the saliva in your mouth is not a part of the process, the digestion process does not work the same, and it doesn't function properly. So that is why I couldn't just suddenly turn all my chicken into a liquid, a horrible, horrible, terrifying liquid that I could then drink, because my body needs that saliva in order to help along with the digestion process and to capture all those nutrients that I need from the food that I'm eating to sustain me. Yeah, because, you know, your saliva does contain those digestive enzymes. Yeah. Um, and these enzymes move into your throat and stomach, and, you know, as as they travel through your body, it helps the digestive process. And not only that, but just the act of chewing, um, it it helps relax your lower stomach, it helps relax the muscles in your lower stomach, which is obviously where your intestines are, where your food is going to go. And it sends messages to your gastrointestinal system like it's like the act of chewing is like a message and it's saying hey food's coming down be prepared so it's like it, it gets those gears and cogs like turning so to speak so when you're when the food hits it like that system is already activated and in place look at that it's like this this is like the lowdown random science podcast today it is we just got super sciencey look at that you were on top of that yeah, so I, I just think that's fascinating that all these different functions serve a purpose. Obviously, chewing serves a purpose in and of itself that you don't want to choke on your food. But there's also a secondary purpose, and that's the saliva. So then I started thinking, well, what if you mix your saliva with the food? Then it just got disgusting. I was like, okay, no. Uh, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, this is not worth whatever experiment I'm trying to do here. <laughs> so that was my, uh, my foray into drinking. Because I, I really do... When I'm eating for fun, like I said, obviously, who doesn't love, like, pizza and all those wonderful things? That's fine. Those are for fun foods. But, like, eating just to sustain, my, sustain myself? Wow, I, it sounded like I skipped a minute there. Um, eating to sustain myself, I hate it. I, I hate the whole entire process. Cooking, eating, cleaning it up. It's just, it's a chore. It's like going to the, because I, you know, I'm trying to treat it like it's uh, fuel, you know, just like I would put in a car. It would be like having to go to the gas station for like 35 minutes or 40 minutes. It'd just be like, come on, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that's how I feel about yeah. food, friend. <laughs> I food with the body. I love food. I do too. I love um, the fun so, ones. I love the fun, and you know, I, I talk about being from the South a lot, but it's like food is our culture down here. You know what I mean? Like we, I grew up equating food to love and which is healthy. It is an unhealthy way to kind of in some situations to think about it. But 
you know, like you, you go to your grandma's house, you cook the big meal, you better eat, you hurt her feelings if you don't eat. And, you know, there's just a lot of different foods that are going on in the South that other places don't have. We have fried foods. And number one, comfort food from the South, biscuits. And people judge you on your biscuits. Mm. People will, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter if you go to church. Don't, if you can't cook a biscuit, you'll get judged down here. Wow. So biscuits are like the, the, the benchmark. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you can't cook a biscuit, don't go down south because they're not going to accept you. What's the key to cooking yeah, a good biscuit? Yeah, unless you just eat our biscuit. I can't tell you. <sighs> I can't give away like, my secret. It's a secret of the south? I can tell you. I can tell you. But I cannot record it for everyone to hear. I'll have to, I will have to share it with you in private. Yeah, because see, okay down here this. we have um, there's because there's types of biscuits like you have big fat fluffy like buttermilk biscuits and then you have little mm-hmm. tiny thin like thin greasy biscuits and down here you get like the little thin greasy ones at like barbecue places and we're very funny about barbecue too because we believe bar- our barbecue sauce you know we believe real barbecue is in for bait. okay so we like little thin, tiny, greasy biscuits and vinegar-based barbecue. There's your key to the south. I can make both kinds. I can make them big, fat, and fluffy, but down here, that's not, that's not how we eat them. Hey, it's yeah, it's a cultural thing. It's true. Food is very much a, a part of culture. Um, I, you know, I'm, uh, I have mm-hmm. Greek heritage, and Greek food is very much a part of all of our all of our gatherings all of everything we do that is related to our greek heritage uh mostly revolves around food um and the the greek food so yeah i totally understand what you're saying um and you're right it is it's a regional thing it's a family thing it's a cultural there's so many different things that people connect to food um and uh, yeah being a good cook i mean what I think I think every single person on the planet that's one of the very few skills that everyone in the world appreciates. Yeah, I, I should say should appreciate. Sure. I'm I'm sure, sure there are people who don't appreciate good cooks, but they should because that <laughs> is one of those things. Like it's literally they're sustaining you. They can make you survive. Um, or they can kill you. Uh, or they can kill you with the horrible food. Yeah, exactly. Um, or they can prepare it so expertly that it kills you. Um, <laughs> food murder, yay! Oh, I, I understand. My favorite Greek food. That's a tough question. Um, there's these little things that we eat at family functions, and uh, they're called teropitas. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> the. <laughs> They're they're called teropitas or teropitas. I they're it's hard to say. It's spelled tyropita. Um okay. and it's these it's these little triangular um concoctions that uh it's it's a it's a it's a sheet of phyllo dough, which is like a Greek dough, and it's it's sort mm-hmm. of uh, shaped into a triangle and there is um some sort of egg batter mix inside of it. Uh and it gets really really crispy. Uh, when they when they bake them, and um, it is just when we have them at a we will make so many of these 
for a family function. I mean, it, it is insane. We have a relatively large family, but this is way more than a family would, even the family the size that we have needs. Um, we're talking like buckets of these things. And they are always gone before the end of the night. Always. There's never any leftover. It, it, it would be impossible because people just eat the hell out of these things. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. So I think that's probably a family favorite. But beyond that, um, I really like, um, you know, like traditional things like a gyro uh, with like a, a tzatziki sauce, which is like a, it's like a cucumber sauce. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's, <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's really good. And it's, uh, you know, sometimes they put lamb. Actually, lamb is not the traditional food that you put in that, I think. I think it's, uh, like, it's like a beef. Um, and they, they do like these spinning, they, they spin their meat on like a stick. There's a lot of interesting, uh, Greek, uh, food things. And then one thing that's been, I think, adopted by a lot of American culture is the quote unquote Greek salad. Um, which is something that is very popular even with us still, even though it's very much now, a, you know, an Americanized thing. Um, the, the Greek dressing, the dressing that goes on those salads it's like a family. Everybody in the family knows how to make that stuff. Um, right. And if you don't know how to make it, then you're you're clearly not part of the family or something. Um, and uh, it, it's got uh, feta in it and um, tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, you know, things like that, uh, and, and and this uh, this really delicious dressing. Um, and it, it can be so bitter. It can be so bitter. But I think that's like part of the the charm of it. Like people try to make it as bitter as possible without making it so bitter that you just can't eat it at all. But like the, the mark of this dressing is, is, you know, when somebody takes a bite and if they make that face, that's just like, you know, that bitter face that you make when you get something really, really bitter. That's, yeah. that's like a sign that the, the dressing is really good. But those are some of my favorite, um, my favorite Greek foods. Uh, what, what are your experiences with Greek foods? Do you have any experience with them? None. None at all. Oh, no, friend. We have we have literally no Greek restaurants around here. None. Oh man. I, mean, yeah. I, I can't Gosh. I can't name one thing that's even Greek that I mean I, I know what pitas are, you know. I Right, yeah. I, um You've never had any, like, Greek desserts, like baklava? Well, there's a pizza place near me that is owned by some awesome Greek people, but they uh-huh. just make like pizza and lasagna and stuff. Um, and have had that. I, I have had that, and that was good. Um, there was a type of potato that one of my friend's mothers made me in high school and it was they um I just think they were like roasted in the oven or something I don't know what mm-hmm. they would be called or, but they were they were pretty delicious I think I know what you're talking about I don't know the specific yeah name. I don't like see as you know my my family's heritage like my grandparents are from Greece um you know my father didn't speak English when he first got here or he was always here, but you know what I mean? He didn't speak English when he was first born. He spoke Greek and then he learned English. 
Um, but like with my generation, yeah. we sort of that, that, that we're a little bit far removed. So like what you're talking about, that dish with the potatoes, I don't know what it's actually called. We just call it Greek potatoes. It's like everybody that's my age, we just throw the word Greek in front of it. And then we're like, oh, yeah, Greek potatoes. Yeah, Greek, whatever that thing is that we do with the food. Greek McDonald's. <laughs> Greek. <laughs> Greek McDonald's. I will say that um, you're talking about the salad. I don't, I don't eat any salad dressing. Wait a minute. Like at all? And if I get a, if I, none. And if I get a sandwich, like I don't want sauce on it. Like I get a sub, I don't do one vinegar. I don't eat like pasta salad where it's all thrown in together and then like a dressing in it. I don't eat any kind of salad dressing at all. And I love salad. I love salad. But I never I can't Do you stand find salad dressing. Well I let me ask you this. A sauce my sandwich. I don't Oh wow. So when you're eating a salad with no dressing, yeah. do, do you just, like, sort of pick at it with, like, your your hand and just, like, sort of... Because, like, for me, I feel like the the nature of salad... Do you revert to some sort of caveman, like... No, I'm kidding. Um, I say well, to the wall and climb up and eat it like a monkey. <laughs> I guess I just mean because, to me even though salad is like a hundred percent water, it's so dry. Like I couldn't just shove a bunch of spinach leaves in my mouth because it would just be so dry. I don't know how I would do it. I need that, the lubrication of, uh, of olive oil and vinegar, uh, in order to, what you do is chew a little bit more slowly. They have more saliva and digestive enzymes. We discovered this like (laughs) 10 minutes ago. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what I like to do, I prefer to just dump it on the floor and just like graze. Like I like a free range. <laughs> but, oh, stop! That's so funny. No, I no, thought... it's not dry. I mean, do, do, do. <laughs> like do you just pick it up with your hands? Yes, I just like I'm in the fancy restaurant. I'm just like picking my handfuls of lettuce and shoving it in my mouth as hard as I can. <laughs> I like cucumbers in my salad, and they they have a lot of moisture. Yes, cucumbers do. Cucumbers are very much, you know, like a watermelon almost. It's like a hundred percent water. Um, I love cucumbers. Oh man! In South Carolina, can... we just pick our we just pick our vegetables out of the garden and we just eat. They're out there in the dirt. <laughs> I didn't even mean it like that. Oh my god! I don't know why I meant. Like I don't know why I would just <laughs> assume that I would be picking at a salad. Yes, of course you would use a fork. No. Yeah, you're at like a five star restaurant and you're just like. Picking up scoops of salad, putting them in your mouth. Oh God, I'm an idiot. Yeah, just I'm straight up pretty woman and little mermaid. Like I'm combing my hair with the fork and eating the lettuce with my feet. So <laughs> yeah, so take me out on a fancy day, guys. I promise I won't disappoint. <laughs> Speaking of, I don't know how these transitions come into my mind. You just mentioned pretty woman. Uh, Julia Roberts, Richard Gere, the story of a prostitute with a heart of gold, I guess. I, it's kind of and a Julia weird premise. Roberts. You uh, you broke up on me, friend. What'd you say? Oh, you said a prostitute with a heart of gold, and I said, uh, and Julia Roberts. <laughs> yes, Richard <laughs> Gere plays a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
Julia Roberts is a successful businessman. Um, and yeah, uh, so they have this interesting, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how it happens. I don't really recall a lot about the movie other than she looked smoking hot with that blonde wig. And then they, he doesn't want to have sex with her, I guess, when he picks her up. And then they just sort of like, I guess he just wants her company. And then they end, eventually they fall in love. Uh, but there's a scene that one, if, if you know any scene from that movie, or one of many scenes that probably are very famous, the one scene you might remember is when Richard Gere has the um, the jewelry case open, and Julie Roberts is looking at it, and she sort of like puts her fingers in, uh, and he snaps it down on her fingers, and she she laughs like ridiculously. Um, so you you reminded me of that scene, mm-hmm. and turns out that that scene was not part of the script. It was not planned. Richard Gere just thought he'd be funny and snap the jewelry case on her fingers. Maybe maliciously. I don't know. Maybe he didn't like Julie Roberts. Uh, but whatever the case was, she <laughs> laughed her ass off. <laughs> she laughed her ass off and they kept it in the movie. Uh, but that was not planned. That wasn't part of the script. That wasn't even a scene that they were shooting other than they still had the camera rolling. And now it's like one of the most iconic moments that film. Like Isn't that so weird how that happens? That is. That's so cool. Fred, have you seen Silence of the Lambs? Are you going to talk about a piss? <laughs> His, the noise he makes? Yeah, because he improvised that. Yeah, that's what I was gonna. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He improvised that, that very bizarre, and I, it was also in a very similar situation where he was sort of doing it goofing around, um, if I recall the yeah. story. Um, and they thought it was so creepy, which it was. Like, who does that uh, goofing around? If anybody was around me and went, I would be like, "What did you just do? Why did you do that?" But he did it, and it was so perfect for that scene. I also heard funny thing about that part. Uh, he says, the line is, a census taker tried to test me once, so I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Apparently, the mm-hmm. script was for some other type of bean, but Anthony Hopkins couldn't say it. He really? literally What's couldn't... Pre- I don't know, because I think Anthony Hopkins, I'm like, classically trained actor... Surely he could say any word, but if, I don't know. I don't know what the actual bean was, but appara- I don't know if I remember the story from just making this up. But apparently there was a type of bean that was in, written into the scene that he couldn't say or was struggling to say properly. So they just changed it to fava beans. It's crazy. You, and, you know, I think we talked about this, too, because you know that um, Jack Nicholson improvised Here's Johnny in The Shining. Yes. Again, one of the most mm-hmm. iconic moments in the whole movie. Exactly. I was like, whenever you think of that movie, you picture him. You know, he had the little the, the axe batter door, and um, and Robert De Niro did it in Taxi Driver. What's one of the most favorite lines out of Taxi Driver? You talking to oh, me? Oh, you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, that was improvised too. I don't understand how either these people are just amazing, or. They're just goofing around when they're not on a take, and people are like, "That was genius." I don't know. Like, uh, the, there's a scene in The Dark Knight, uh, again, another improvised scene where Heath Ledger. Uh, I don't know if you remember this part, 
Spoiler alert if you haven't seen The Dark Knight. They catch the Joker and they, they bring him to the, uh, the whatever, the lockup. And he's in there and uh, Gordon gets his promotion to commissioner. And in the background, all of a sudden you, you, you hear this clapping and, and it goes beyond when everybody else is clapping. It's very slow and it's the Joker and he's very maniacally clapping in his cell. That was not anything mm-hmm. part of anything with the movie. Yeah, and his face, he's looking down, but, you know, his head's like down in that bent way. But he's kind of yeah. looking up so he can, and just let that slow clap. I do. That was such a I great do. scene. That's and crazy. it was just all Heath Ledger. There's so many really cool stories about Heath Ledger on that set. Um, and that he wouldn't break character at all when he was on set. So, like, I imagine, like, when he got back to his trailer and they were taking the makeup off, he was probably Heath Ledger again. But when after like makeup and they brought him out, he was literally the Joker. Even between takes, uh, there was a story where Aaron Eckhart, who played um, Harvey Dent slash Two Face, spoiler alert, <laughs> um, and he he talked about because they have one scene together uh, where you know he's in the hospital and he's lying there and the Joker has that very interesting speech about chaos and he's wearing a, a nurse's outfit. Um, and he said that the whole day they were filming, whenever they were not doing a take, cause I mean, his, his character was laying in bed the whole time. Uh, whenever they were not doing a take, uh, Heath Ledger was like walking around pacing and making weird noises, but he would never break character. He was always the Joker the entire day. Everything they were doing, he was just going like just making weird noises and stuff. And, uh, I guess he said that, uh, on the way back, to the uh, the trailer after the the day, he said Heath put his arm around him, uh, Aaron Eckhart. And he said that's acting, and he like gave him like a little bro hug, and uh, I don't know, <laughs> that's so interesting to me, like that somebody could just stay in character like that. I don't think I could do that. Well, you you've heard stories of like Daniel Day Lewis and stuff of how you know, of uh, like when he is a character, he's that character to the movie wraps. I mean, he's that person. All day long. Right. Yeah, like, not even... Even even in... Even in Star Wars... Do you remember... Well, in The Empire Strikes Back, do you remember when Han Solo... Whenever, um... Uh... Carrie Fisher looks at Harrison Ford and she's like... And she says, I love you. Do you remember that part in The Empire Strikes Back? Oh, that's the most classic scene ever. Oh, yeah. And he says back, I know. Like a boss. Like a boss. Well... George Lucas, they all agreed, like, you know, that to say I love you too would not have fit. You know, that would not have fit oh, the no. situation. That would have not fit his character. So George Lucas was like, just say what you think's best. Just say what you think is best. So, That's awesome. And there wasn't supposed to be a cat in The Godfather. What? Yep. Tell me that was, okay, why? Is this some crazy Marlon Brando story? where he just decided that this was going to happen and they everybody had to deal with it? Well, I've heard that some people, um, the only report that I really heard that, you know, I obviously wasn't there. I can't confirm this 100%, but they say that he found the cat <laughs> roaming around the set. Like, he, he, the cat was just, like, roaming around, and Mom Brennan just picked him up and loved on him. Wow. Uh, Marlon Brando is an incredible actor. 
But it is my understanding that he was absolutely insane. Uh, and very, very difficult to work with. Yeah. Uh, his, his last film was a movie he did with Val Kilmer called The Island of Dr. Monroe. Uh-huh. And the, there's, there's a documentary about it, but there's some <laughs> things that he did on the set of this film that are, are unbelievable. I, I can't even... Bringing a guy on because he liked the guy. He's just a buddy of his. This little guy. And he's like, this guy's going to be in every scene with me. Mm-hmm. This guy was not an actor or anything. Yeah. But he was just like, this guy is with me the rest of the movie. And he was. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't have a script. He didn't, it was just the craziest stories I've ever heard in my life. That movie was something else, wasn't it? It was absolutely insane. And when you find out more about the production, you really th- realize, that, like, oh, my God, this thing was just... They were just making it up as they went. Yeah, they had they had Feruza Bach in that movie. She was something. Oh yeah. <laughs> a little wild, mm-hmm. a little wild animal. Yeah, it was. These people, and I, I think most geniuses are a little bit crazy, you know. Um, oh, for sure. You know, but that's, going back to like what I said about Dan, I love Daniel Day Lewis. Like I think Dan, I think he is. Gorgeous. Like when I think of my whole life, well, not my whole life, but you know, teenage years up, when I thought about if like good-looking actors, I've never thought about like, I I don't know, just say Brad, like Brad Pitt or something like that, Channing Tatum, right. like those. I don't, and I'm not, I'm not knocking them. Of course, I mean they're attractive people, but like, you know, I, I was always, first of all, I was like the older people, you know, I was like the older guys, the older actors, but Daniel Day Lewis, especially in um, the game. Gangs of New York. Uh, have you seen the Gangs of New York? Oh yes, very good movie. I love that movie so much. But I mean, just like um, he did the movie on um, My Left Foot, and you know the part, you know he couldn't walk in the movie, and yeah, yeah, like he refused to walk. That's the whole incredible. time he was recording his movie, and. She even his daughter was like during the entire film. I saw that he was recording it. I saw him walk once. When he was wow. in the last of the Mohicans, he learned how to build canoes. That's incredible. <laughs> he just defies yeah. all everything. Yeah, like he wants to become the person that you know that he is portraying. And he gets into it. I mean, he really does it. You're right. Like, not walking for that long. that Your muscles would atrophy so bad. Like, you yeah. would not even... It would be hard to walk after that. <laughs> like, he would not answer to Daniel. Like, for wow. instance, when he was doing Gates of New York, you'd have to call him Bill. He would not acknowledge you. God, that movie. I love that movie. I love that so, movie so much. So your ideal man, physically, is Bill the Butcher. Well, it, yes. I, I want a maniac, <laughs> crazy, disgusting. No, no, no. I just said phys- I just said physically. I, I, I didn't mean like well, his personality. Actually, actually, he's more. He's kind of like tall and lanky, which isn't usually my thing. Like I like, you know, I don't, I don't usually like, like, because he looks a little bit scrawny sometimes. You know what I mean? Like that's not usually right. my my thing. But he's just. I think it's because he owns everything he does, like completely. Like he owns it. You know what I mean? He just. Yeah. And in the gangs of New York, that really sealed it for me because it was like he was a 
horrible person in a lot of ways, but he still had like his own morals and honor. You know what I yeah, mean? He like did. he still had his own principles and he killed a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. He did some bad things, but he still followed, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't want to, he wouldn't beg for his life. He wasn't going down like, right. you know, he was he wasn't begging anybody for anything. He wasn't, he was him all the way around. And if he loved you or cared about you, he would do anything to take care of you. And likewise, if you were his enemy, he would do anything to protect what was his, you know, the law of his land, his little piece of the world, whatever. So, yeah, like when I think about like hot, like movie characters that I would have a crush on, I'd build a butcher. Does it? I, I, I just I'd build a butcher. I do. I, I, love, I, I, I like. I, I love like it. Stuff. No, I think it's great. <laughs> You know, you're right, though. I mean, the, the, the villains that we love the most in film are usually ones that have sort of um, just a, a skewed sense of right and wrong, but they follow it to a T. Like the Joker. The Joker is very much the same. Uh, he had sort of this set of his own, not rules, he didn't have any rules, but he lived by some odd code that made his character fascinating. I think people who buck traditional ideas of what it is to be a person in society uh, and to prove a point, especially in film, in real life, not so much. In real life, it doesn't work very much. In real life, those people end up in jail or, you know, they're not people we look up to. But in film, it's different. It's, it's, in fiction, it's something that we can look at, explore, and think, wow, this person, you know, is, is insane but they have this really unique perspective on life, uh, like the Joker's speech about chaos, you know, um, in, in The Dark Knight. And I think we gravitate towards those villains because they're more fascinating. They actually have a... It's not just, I'm evil to be evil. Like, right. And I hate to say this because I love Star Wars, but like Darth Vader. Yeah, we got the prequel trilogy to explain why he's Darth Vader. But I just it didn't feel like there was any motivation for him to be evil. You know what I mean? Like, he was the bad guy, clearly. I mean, from the first scene he's in the film, they don't say that he's the bad guy, but you know he's the bad guy. Um, and I just feel like those kinds of villains, I can't... Now, obviously, he has one of the most interesting story arcs of any villain ever, eventually, because he, by the end of... Jedi turns around and saves his son and kills the Emperor and all this other stuff. But, spoiler alert for Return of the Jedi if you haven't seen it. Um, sorry, it came out in 1978. So, his character is interesting in that way, but I don't like villains that are too one-dimensional. I want to understand, maybe I don't agree with them, but I want to understand their logic. If they have some sort of logic behind why they're doing what they're doing in, the, in their villainness. Like, they're, if they're not just like, I want to destroy the world because... Like, that doesn't do anything for me. That's just, I don't get that. I don't get that as a villain. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make me care about their motives. But villains that have actual reasoning behind their things, whether right or wrong, are more fascinating. Like, uh, have you ever seen The Wolf of Wall Street? No. It's another Martin Scorsese movie I really, really recommend it. Do you like Leonardo DiCaprio? I like some things he has done. Yeah, he's good in a lot of stuff. And yeah, I'm familiar I, with it. You know, I'm familiar with the with this with the plot and, and 
things like that. But yeah, and, and it's 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 a it's a movie about a bunch of horrible people, and they were horrible people in real life. But what makes them so fascinating is that they had actual motivations. They had reasons behind what they were doing. And it's funny because a lot of people criticize the film for being um, glorifying excess and glorifying these horrible people, but I don't think that's what it does. I think that you take away from that movie what you want to take away from that movie. And some people took away from that movie that all these things they're doing were awesome. But what I took away from the movie were these people were out of control they had lost a sense of themselves and at their core, they were falling apart as people. Um, and it, it, it's almost a cautionary tale more than anything, even though 95% of the movie is people snorting Coke off of hookers. Um, and it looks like the best party of all time every five seconds, but that's not what's really going on. And I just think that those are the kind of villains that are a lot more fascinating to me. I want my villains to be fleshed out. I think too often in fiction, we just like use villains almost as like a plot uh, device to move the plot along. Uh, oh, they are doing this de- evil deed, so now this will make our character do this. I don't like that. I want a villain that I can relate to. Like Loki in, uh, in the first Thor movie. You saw the first Thor movie, right? Yeah. How great was that scene where he finds out he was a frost giant? <laughs> and he and he confronts his dad. Yeah. That was incredible. That was an incredible scene. And it gave so much more perspective into Loki as a villain. He was so much more three-dimensional. And he wasn't just this evil guy to be evil. I don't know. I'm rambling about evil people in movies. What are your thoughts, Fred? Um, I think... I, if you go back to, to Star Wars, you know, you brought Darth Vader. Um, you know, he didn't have good, loving parents. He had his mother, you know, taken out of his life and reconnected. Right. And then she died in his arms. Which, which was horrific. Right. So, I mean, that kind of gives you, you know... A lot of serial killers are murderers. People do terrible things. You know, studies show that, you know, when you have lack of support in that home life, you are, you could be more inclined to doing, you know, to to leading, uh, I guess I'd say bad life or making worse decisions. You know, Luke had, at least Luke had his aunt and his uncle, you know. Right. Um, Darth Vader didn't have that. And then... He was kind of, it's almost, I feel like it was almost like he was all for drugs and, and like, you know, the, the appeal of drugs and riches and come live this life. Like he was that power of the force, you know, that was very tempting to him, I think, as somebody who probably as a child, he didn't have much and he didn't, he was, well, he grew up poor. Yeah. He wasn't in control of, he wasn't in control of much. And then that promise of that power, I think. You know, I think it's just like anybody else who maybe gets suckered into selling drugs or something. They're probably not a bad person, but maybe they're broke. They're desperate. They don't know where else to turn. And you get somebody who has power or success, you know, no matter if it's something you and I review successful or not. You know, it's some form of success. And then it's offered to this person. I think they can get caught up in it really quick. And then all of a sudden they're... You know, okay, well, now you've done this, now you got to do this. 
oh, now you've done this, now you have to do this. So, you know, right. you, you've killed these people, now you got to go kill the people in the temple, and then, oh, my God, Padme's pregnant, oh, God, she's having babies, oh, my God, she's dead. And it just, it's like it just snowballed, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it did. He did. Oh, my God, my body's been destroyed by lava. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was his first love that he really had in his life, having lost his parents. And then, you know, so I don't want to say like, but I can kind of see, you know, like his life was shit. And then every time he started to get something good, it either blew up in his face. Like, oh, this wasn't the power. This wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. You know, it's like, kill these people, get more power. Kill these people, get more power. Kill everybody in the temple. Right. Kill all the kids, kill all adults. But. Not just the men, but the women and the children. Sorry, the scene where he's talking about the sand people. Um, I will say this. I guess I was talking about it only from the, the perspective of the original trilogy. Because I oh, will say, so many people really dogged out the, uh, the prequel trilogy. But I will say, one of the shining things that came out of that was Anakin's arc as a character. Even though people, some people didn't like the actor... Whatever. Some people didn't like a lot of the silly stuff that was in the movie. Jar Jar Binks. All that stuff with the, the Galactic Senate. I know there's a lot of stuff in those movies that I don't like either. But the core story, what you just described, of Anakin turning to the dark side, I thought was really, really well done. And really well fleshed out. And you're right. It was, it was sort of one of those things, kind of like the Joker says in The Killing Joke, uh, where he says, essentially... Uh, every one of you is one bad day away from being me. Uh, and that's essentially what happens to Anakin. I don't think Anakin was a bad person to start with. I mean, we saw him as a little boy in the first film, and he's not. Uh, he was under very harsh circumstances. His mother was a slave. He was poor. Uh, and he, he was dealt a lot of bad cards, and he went down a bad path. It's not excusing his path. But it, it's also, it is giving an explanation as to why he went the way he went. Uh, and I do think that Lucas did a very good job in the, orig- in the prequel trilogy of fleshing that out and, and really explaining what it is that made him so angry as a character. Right. Yeah, I think, um, you know, nothing nobody, nothing that people choose to do that is horrific later on in life can be justified by what, because, you know, you and I oh, both right, know yeah. those people that have done wonderful, you know, wonderful things that had hor- uh, horrific childhoods, but it kind of gives you a little insight. Because I've always been fascinated, um, not in a fangirl way, not in a in a good way, but I've always been fascinated by people who can do horrible things. Because I have, I have a huge conscience. Like, I have the type of conscience, like, I can't drop a gum wrapper on the ground. Like, I would lose sleep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Over something like that. And then you have people who can, and there's different levels to it, like people who can just be selfish or just spend all their money on themselves or just do whatever they want. And, you know, and then you take it to even different levels. Then you have people who like rape and murder and rob. And it's like, and of course I know it's all, you know, it's brain chemistry. Um, and the whole question of is it nature versus nurture is it the way you're built is it the way you're raised. I think right. it's a combination of two, honestly. Yeah, I, do. I think so, too. I definitely yeah. don't think it can be all nurture because there's people who have come from nothing and horrible childhoods to be great people, you know. But that fascinates me so much, like how – because there's just certain things 
that you and I, like, I wouldn't walk into a room and look at a woman and be like, wow, that just really makes you look fat. But there are some people who would absolutely right. say that. And yeah. they may not even be feeling malicious by saying that. They just may feel like, well, it's how I felt. And it was honest. So I was going to say, you know what I mean? Like, just fascinates me, all the, all the different ways that people conduct themselves and, you know, what some people find acceptable and some people don't. And even what people take pleasure in. You know, like there's people who murder people because that pleasures them. And not necessarily sexually, like that's what they enjoy doing. And there's some people who do it because, you know, you've heard it makes them feel like God. That's the power. That's the ultimate power is over someone's life. You know, but it's like I just don't – that – obviously there's so much more than I could ever even begin to understand. But that fascinates me so much just – how different we are and what we can do and not do, you know, but how it varies from one person to another person. No, I agree. And I think it is a fascinating topic and something that I think a lot more people are probably fascinated by than they'd like to admit or would openly say, but I, I'm the same way. I, I you know, when I hear about uh, a famous serial killer or somebody who did some horrific crime or something, you do, you want to understand like, because these aren't movie characters. They, they have an arc. They were a real person. What right. got that person to that point where the, they, that that happened? And, I, yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, and it's something that I think is good to study because it, it also helps us see, okay, what were the pitfalls? What happened? They were from an abusive home. Um, you know, their genetic makeup in addition to that factor. A lot of it, yeah, you're right. It's, like, it's almost like a roll of a dice. It's like, okay, I could put six kids in the same situation and they, and all, they all turn out six different ways. Um, because they all handle it differently or their genetic makeup was slightly different from each other. Um, you know, like you said, you've got somebody who comes back from the Holocaust and, you know, is the nicest person in the world and says that they, they love everything about their lives and they, they don't regret one moment of it. Um, and then you have other people who, you know, could never even think that way. Um, even though they've maybe never experienced something as horrific as, as what those survivors had, had, had gone through. Um, it is interesting. It's an interesting topic because the human mind is so complex and there's so many variables that cause people to act in certain ways that it does. It, it's a fascinating topic. Um, and I think a lot of people who, you know, are, uh, gravitate towards law enforcement, uh, not law enforcement as like more like a detective, I think, or people that want to solve crimes. I feel like those people are fascinated by those questions too, because they want to know what is it that makes these people tick? Why are they doing what they're doing? Um, and of course, these are the people that we're talking about. A lot of these people we're talking about are exceptions. Um, you know, that's the other thing. It's like sometimes people kill people in some crazy moment of whatever, and they never would have killed anybody in their whole lives ever again. And then there's other people who, that, like you said, it's literally what they do because they enjoy it. Uh, there's just so many different things going on with people and their brains. And it is. It's a fascinating I, – I don't know how anybody could not be fascinated by that topic, even though it's macabre and, and morbid. And it is – yeah, it's, it's horrible to think about, but it's also fascinating at the same time uh, just because it's so much something that we ourselves can't wrap our brains around. You know what I mean? It's probably because we don't chew enough to release the digestive enzymes. Oh, my God. I need to chew more. Ah. You don't understand everything. 
I knew I shouldn't drink my chicken. <laughs> chicken shake. Oh God, that doesn't that sound awful? It's disgusting. I mean, oh God, you yeah, couldn't. Yeah, that that sounds just. I love chicken, but when you say chicken shake or chicken mm-hmm. smooth, you're we're done. We lost the chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not a fan. That's that's funny, friend. <laughs> friend, do you have you know any other? Weird? Yeah, what were you gonna say? Chicken soup. Oh my god, I love chicken soup. That's holy. Good chicken. <laughs> it is. It's liquid chicken. It's true. Oh my god, you just blew my mind. See? You can't, right? You can drink your chicken in a delicious manner. Oh my god, now I want chicken soup bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna go see if I have some. Um, oh, but yeah, I did. I wanted to bring up one thing because I've seen a lot of people on Twitter. Um, people that you and I both follow as well as, as people, you know, as strangers, we've been following along because um, an animal shelter in Charleston, actually one that I'm familiar with, rescued a dog um, last month. She is a chocolate Staffordshire Terrier. She's beautiful. Um, she was found abandoned, and her muzzle was taped shut with electrical tape to the point like her mouth, her tongue was sticking out, and her tongue, and I mean, she was, I'm not going to go into her if it details, but her mouth and snout, her whole muzzle was so swollen, they were scared they were going to have to amputate her whole snout. Oh. Like, they didn't know if she would live. The tape had been wrapped so tightly, and had been in there so long, well, by the time she was rescued. Um, so, of course, all of our local shelters we and she's she's made nationwide news. That's, I mean, she's you know I, she's trended on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. About her, um, and she's only about she's a little over an hour away from me, and all the shelters kind of been together and um, put lots of reward money. We have not we not me. I had nothing to do with it. I don't. But the collective effort of the different shelters and stuff um, have found our abuser. He is now arrested. Um, he will face, you know, he will, he will be prosecuted. And Caitlin, um, there was a awesome vet, um, Dr. Klein and Dr. Bianucci. Um, they're in veterinary specialty care in South Carolina, of course. They volunteered their services, um, to Charleston Animal Society, which is the shelter that got her, and have not only worked to, um, save her life, they actually, provided reconstructive surgery. So her lips, cheeks, and tongue have all been reconstructed. Um, and they think that she will fully recover, recover. And she may, the only side effect they think that she will have in the long run will be just a slight loss of tongue function. So probably when she gives you a kiss, maybe a bit more sloppy and wet, which are the best kind of dog kisses anyway. But yeah, and you can, um, you can, Donate to the Charleston Animal Society if you want to, the people that help rescue animals like this. And you can also go to their site and watch a live feed of her because she has a, her own private ICU suite and she's recovering. And you can watch the live feed and check in on her and see her and see how she's doing. She looks amazing. 
um, I saw the photos and a little video of her when the tape was still on her face and shortly after it been removed and broke my heart, bless her heart. But now she looks, she's so happy and she's going to make a full recovery. And the guy who did it is going to, he's going to get what's coming to him too. So Good. I just want to give everybody updates. That's a fairly new update with her. And Caitlin from Charleston, South Carolina, we love you very much. And she is going to be A-OK. Yay, that's a great – see, I like this because you, you just – you ended the podcast on a positive note too. Um, we started on a positive note and we ended on a positive note. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Um, Brent, is there anything else we want to talk about or, or do we want to wrap it up? I have a million different things, but I guess I will save a few for next week or else we won't have a podcast anymore. That's true. That's very true. Um, ooh, oh, before we do, this is going back. We're going back to a topic. So everybody rewind your brain where we talked about improv scenes. Have you seen Django sure. Unchained? I have, uh, no. Uh, okay, there's a scene with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I'll just describe the scene. Honestly, this is impressive. You don't need to even know the movie. Okay, so Leonardo DiCaprio is giving a speech in the film. Mm-hmm. very angry speech. He's the villain. And uh, he slams his hand down on a table. And he smashes a glass. And it cuts his hand. And he continues to rant and rave and rant and rave. And then he walks over to Kerry Washington. And he rubs the blood from the cut all over her face. And she screams. And it's one of the most ridiculous scenes in this whole movie. But it's really, really strong. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, how in the heck does he not have an Oscar yet. Then you find out horrifyingly that the injury was real, not planned, but he continued, <laughs> continued the scene because he's one of those, uh, Daniel day Lewis types. Who's like, I'm in character. So my character just horribly severed an artery in his arm and I'm just going to deal with it. So he continues his angry rant. Kerry Washington Obviously, the injury was not expected. Was not expecting a face full of Leonardo DiCaprio blood. But that's what she got. And her scream is a legitimate scream because a psychopath just rubbed blood all over her face. It's one of those things that when you see it, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe this was real and that people just let this continue to happen. That is insane. Yes. That is insane. he might have out Daniel Day Lewis, Daniel Day Lewis in that moment. I'm not Don't saying. You care. <laughs> hey, they were in that movie together. <laughs> they were in Gangs of New York together. They're buddies. They're friends. Don't you care? <laughs> I bet. You know what I bet? I bet Leo DiCaprio. You know, at that point in his career, yeah, he did Titanic. Whatever. He probably saw Daniel Day Lewis like being crazy on Gangs of New York, and he's like, you know what? That's what I need to do. I need to be crazy. And then he started being crazy, and look, he became like one of the best actors ever. Maybe he's his son in real life. Wouldn't that be a plot to us? Oh my god. Yep. Except there's just there's just something about him that I, I don't believe so. I, I, I think Daniel Day Lewis would have a more Daniel Day Lewis son. I'm scoffing at Leonardo DiCaprio. That's what kind of person am I? 
Yeah. You're like Leo. Whatever. But he does. I mean, he has a ton of movies that I think are great. I love Let's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah. Um. Not a fan of Titanic. Um. Nobody is. Who is a fan? I know somebody right now, and I'm going to shut up right now because that's going to be very insulting. Um. And the the movie we were talking about not too long ago, um, Shutter Island. Shutter Island. Yes. Uh, of course, she was in Gangs of New York. And what's the one with Matt Damon? And they're all police and everybody. Love that movie. Awesome I mean, he, movie. Yeah, there's 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 been a lot of movies he likes that that he was in. Was like, also, and I, I think it's because like I was a teenager and he was a teenager, so he was like a teen heartthrob. And like I've always been like. If there were like a heartthrob, like I automatically not like not like in a hipster way, but just like I just automatically didn't like them because I feel like they probably had really big egos because like everybody had posters yeah. of them on their wall. You were like, hey, you're gonna have to woo me. It's not the other way around. Like your pretty face does nothing for me. I don't. I and I don't like like pretty people. I don't like as you know as me being attracted to a male. Like I don't. I would not be attracted to a pretty male. Right. Like the met, the metrosexual thing does nothing for me. I don't want you to get highlights and style your hair with product and get yeah, me. Leonardo DiCaprio like, in his younger age, he looked like Link. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Link Link is like the the most feminine you know, he has like the most feminine face ever. Yeah. I, I, I don't like that. Like I don't you know, more power to you if that's what you like, but I'm just Yeah, it's whatever. Like, Although I will say, I will say, we can go out on this note. I had the hugest crush on Devin Sawa. I watched Casper about 10 million times. Not even exaggerating. Whenever he kissed Christina Ricci at the end of the movie, and I, my heart just stopped. Okay, my, my heart just stopped. <laughs> And then, of course, I'm not sure if you remember this. I mean, we know he did. Um, um, what am I thinking? Oh the, oh, the Final Destination movies. Yes. And I thought, I mean, I thought he was all good in that, but this was more like of, you know, when I was a teenager, he did the whole thing. Um, he was in Little Giants. I don't know if you ever watched Little Giants. Movies. But anyway, yeah, I oh, was, yeah. Devin Sawa and Jonathan Brandis were my two favorite guys. And Jonathan Brandis was more like nerdy. You remember like sidekicks with Chuck Norris? I don't know if you ever watched that either. But, oh, yeah. So I had, two, I, had, I had two. Those were my two favorite. Those were my two favorite guys. And they're both kind of like a little bit nerdy-ish. Jonathan Brandis died, which is sad. And, it is sad. And Devin Sawa blocked me on Twitter. So there's my teen heart <laughs> Uh Your childhood has been shattered. Yeah, and that's don't meet your heroes. I was right. That's what happened to me. <laughs> it's, I, it's the, and it's so funny because like on fight nights, like all my favorite people are tweeting him, and I'm 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 like the person who's like the one person not playing the kickball on the game, uh, on the field <laughs> at recess. <laughs> I'm just sitting back and everybody's like kicking the ball. I'm like cool, like everybody, like every person, all of my favorite people and best friends are all tweeting him. I'm like cool, you, you guys. Like I'm calling out from across the field. Have fun, guys. I did you want a sandwich or a guy cold? <laughs> yeah. All right, you're good. I just, I mean, if you need me, if you get tired, I'm over here. Tag me. No, all right. I'll just, I'll just sit. So thank you, Devin Sawa. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, oh, 
Shots fired at the end of the show. <laughs> oh, and now we're going to find out that your secret identity is actually Devin Sawa, and this is the last podcast. The whole time I've been Devin Sawa. I was Casper. Damn it. Why did you guess her? Why didn't you guess me? <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, my God. Oh, I love that. That's so funny. I, yeah, that's right. He was. He was in Casper. Uh, oh my god! I, I, I straight up can quote most like ninety eight percent of that movie. I don't know if I've seen it that many times that I could quote ninety eight percent of it, but I do recall moments of it. Um, I do remember Devin Sawa being real life Casper, uh, mm-hmm. and I and I do remember um, Bill Pullman as the dad and some of the gags with the three ghosts. Um, yeah, I I vaguely I haven't seen it in such a long time though. Like I, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. And isn't there a cameo by Bill Murray as a Ghostbuster? Or not Bill Murray? Uh, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, I think so. Like in yeah. the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. I just I just remember I remember him looking out going, "Can I keep you?" And I was like, "Yes, you can." <laughs> And then they dance, and they dance to "Remember Me This Way." And like, if I ever were to hear "Remember Me This Way," which I don't very much, obviously nowadays, like I'll get teary eyed. That song will make me teary eyed straight up. Now for a different reason. Now it's because Devin Sawa has me blocked on Twitter. <laughs> oh my god, this is too funny. And it's like, well, I had Twitter he blocked me too. We already covered that one. <laughs> Stan, your biggest fan. Um, he was in the Eminem video. He was, he was in the Eminem video. It's like I made a joke on that after he blocked me. Like, dear Devin, I wrote you, but you still ain't calling. But <laughs> that oh, I don't think that was fun either in his eyes, even though he probably didn't see it. Do you have you ever been? I know we're gonna we're wrapping it up, but this is a topic, and this is actually something. Like, if you're listening. And and this has happened to you, you know. Let me know because I'm again. This goes like being fascinated. Have you ever found yourself blocked by somebody and you have no recollection at all of ever interacting with them, and you're wondering like, I have. Um, <laughs> tell us about it. What? Well, no. I was going to say, like, with you, like, with the Tommy thing, like, I mean, I guess maybe if I do want to hear bad words or stuff, maybe they would block you because, like, everybody retweets you because you're awesome and amazing. Oh. But like maybe there's people who don't like curse, you know, cartoons cursing or something. But I don't, I don't put nudity or like cursing or anything obscene, and, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm a controversial person or or like mean person. But there has no. been a couple of occasions like where I went to people's, so like I say I saw something tweeted on my timeline or whatever, and I thought it was interesting, and like I go look at it, and I have found myself blocked by certain people. And it's while it's nothing. I mean, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. There's just been, a, you know, like instances like that, like the whole Devin Saw blocking thing. That I made a joke, which I thought was like a funny joke and not in any way offensive or mean or derogatory. And I got blocked. So like, I'm wondering how many things do I say? Like, how many people out there? Is there a way to tell? Can we find out how many people have us blocked? <laughs> I bet there's like some sort of app or something Perhaps. that you can like download. Oh yeah, for Perhaps. sure. I don't know if anybody... I'm sure there are people who have blocked me. I think the only person I can think of that actually has blocked me is Tito Ortiz, and I never even tweeted him, ever. I literally had never interacted with him in any way, shape, or form. Really? Um, yeah, it was... 
I think what happened was somebody sent him one of my videos. Um, and I, I, he just probably didn't think it was funny. And so, but I think the, I think the person at mentioned me too. So it was like one of those things where it was like, hey, Tito, this guy just made fun of how gigantic your head is. Here he is. And Tito was probably like, "That's this guy's a jerk. Block. But it's so funny because most fighters I feel like that I see interacting with you, I kind of think it's like an honor to be Tommy Dillholder. <laughs> I'm, so held. I'm Tommy a verb. Held. You are. You're Tommy Dillholder. Tommy Dillholder. <laughs> Fast tense. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm honored that any of them, you know, like it at all. Um, but, yeah, I've had a lot of fighters interact with me that are like, oh, yeah, I love it. I love being on the show. Or I thought that was really funny what you did about it. And I try to be as respectful as possible. Um, and I try to stay away from, like, making fun of their fighting because that's – I think that's something that fighters are not going to think is fun. Like, if I'm sitting there like, oh, this guy sucks. Isn't that funny, everybody? <laughs> like, that guy's going to be like, hey, I'm trying to feed my family. You're a jerk. Um, but, you know, if it's something that's lighthearted, they said something goofy or whatever, you know, like little things that I don't think would be that terribly offensive, just sort of little barbs, little um, jests. A little bit of roasting, if you will. That kind right. of stuff, I feel like, doesn't bother people. Or, I, or maybe I, I don't. If it, if I didn't think it would bother me, then I'm usually okay with it. It's one of those things where it's like, um, if I thought that I would be offended if somebody did this to me, I don't do it because I don't, I don't want to make people upset. Like that's never anything that I've ever wanted to do. Um, and so far, I think I've been able to strike a pretty good balance. I think you do a great job of it. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm sensitive, so don't you ever make a joke about me because I'll cry. But I would never. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think you do a really good job of it. And, you know, everybody I see interact with you thinks that, um, you know, they like it's an honor to be in your show. Like people, oh, you know, you and, and there's a lot, too. Like I can tell people who you really actually like in real life because you're you put them in there without ever being like truly really mean about them. You know, like, I love how you portray Cat. Yeah. Little meow voice. And, you know, especially her, you know, she hasn't, she, she's had a rough, you know, year or two. And I think yeah. you take that into consideration, too. So I think it's cool. I think you oh, absolutely. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, I try to be as considerate as possible. I love all these people that I'm, you know, if, if you're not on my show, it's probably because I don't like you. <laughs> I, yeah. I shouldn't say that. It's either It's either you're not, you know, something that, I feel like I could play on as a joke or yeah. I don't want you on the show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but thank you. I, you that, that made me feel nice. I appreciate the compliment. Aw, you're welcome, friend. Uh, that is the show, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. New episodes every Sunday-ish or so. Just look, pay attention <laughs> to our, our social media, okay? We're going to send it out to you. We'll let you know when it comes out. Um, always have a blast on it. We are on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. Low down random thoughts. I am the mysterious creator of the Tommy Told Show. She is at a girly MMA, also known as Ash. She's wonderful, and she does these incredible write-ups on her website, agirlymma.com. Uh, she's got links to things. She's hilarious. Her writing is hilarious. It's just awesome. It's, it's a great supplement to 
the podcast that you're already listening to, highly recommend that anytime you listen to this podcast, you immediately go to at a girly MMA, not at a girly MMA, because that's her Twitter. Go to a girly Check out her blog. Look at the post she's got on the most recent podcast and uh, enjoy the things that we're talking about with us. So that's show. Hope you guys had fun and we will see you guys later. Bye.